gonna be different. Well, hey there, friends and neighbors. This is Dan Cavallari, slow guy on the fast ride. And this is an important episode because I've actually lost count of how many episodes I've actually recorded. It's a big day here in slow guy land. Uh, so that means we're growing and that's great. And we've had some fantastic guests on and we have more. And one of them is joining me today. Uh, all the way, you're in Buffalo today, I think. Uh, is, that, is that right? Yep, up in Buffalo, New York. Today, I am joined by Shana Paulus, a pro cyclist, coach, and co-founder of the Dreamcatcher Foundation. And I've got Shana, Shana, uh, first of all, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing great. How, how did you? you find your, tell the people how you found yourself in Buffalo today. Um, I drove up a couple days ago from Florida. Um, I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and my fiance started playing for the Bills uh, a few weeks ago, I think about going on a month now. Um, he joined with them and uh, just decided to drive up here um, to be with him for the rest of the season. So if all goes well, we should be here until mid to late January next year, um, okay. depending on if they make playoffs or not. But yeah, that's kind of the plan as of right now. Right. Well, just just for the sake of this podcast, I'll say go Bills, but you know, <laughs> I don't want to alienate any other fans here. For those of you keeping track at home, uh, Shana, your uh, fiance is Ili Anku. Uh, who do you know what position he plays? He's a defensive tackle, nose tackle. Nose tackle for the Buffalo Bills. Very cool. Um, and we're we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute because you know basically you and and Ely started the Dreamcatcher Foundation, um, which is something that I want to talk about today. Uh, and for those of you who are not familiar, do go and check out the website uh, while while you're listening. And that's uh, DreamcatcherFDN.org, and you can read a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. But first, let's placate the bike nerds out there. You recently signed with Legion. Uh, for your team. Tell me why. What, what uh, drove you to Legion? What is it about that team that uh, aligns with, with uh, your goals and, and hopes for 2022? Yeah, I'm super excited and really just honored to be joining such a strong squad of both men and women. Um, it's been really fun and exciting to see the team's progress just over the last couple of years, especially this year alone. Um, just, you know, how the team's been expanding, um, what the team's been doing both on and off the bike. Uh, I just see pretty much everything that they're doing is such an inspiration. And I really do feel like their their goals kind of align with my goals, both on and off the bike. So um, that's just one of the main reasons why I just kind of saw Legion as such a great fit for me um, going into next year. And um, it's really cool how, you know, they're all about inclusivity equality, um, and just their community engagement, you know, giving back to the community, giving back to the youth, engaging with youth, um, and, you know, just having such a strong presence both in person and, you know, uh, obviously through their social media, um, they have a very strong presence, um, huge platform. Um, and it's, it's also really cool to see them expanding their women's program, so I know this year they, they had a few women on the team. Uh, I think it was only like three or four, uh, four women riders. And next year they're actually going to have a full women's squad of seven of us. So that's really exciting to me. And um, it's going to be a super strong squad, uh, both on the men's and women's side. And uh, really excited for next year to see what we can do. What race or races are, are big targets for you? Um, 
So the schedule is going to be pretty full next year. Um, already kind of have it mapped out. Uh, but I think the bigger races will include, um, obviously, national championships. Um, I'll be I'll be trying to do the time trial road race and the criterium. Um, so all three in one week, which will be fun. Um, so that'll be obviously one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest race. And uh, in terms of stage races, it's going to be pretty much all the, the biggest stage races in the U.S., um, aside from, I think, um, maybe Tour of Gila. Um Not totally sure on that one yet, but Redlands for sure is one of my big goals. I know it'll be a, goal, a big goal for the team as well. Um, Joe Martin stage race. Um, and then a lot of criteriums as well. Um, it's definitely a very criterium-focused team. Mm-hmm. Um, and next year, um, it'll be fun to kind of mix it up with more road stage races. Uh, as well as even some gravel. So I know that the team's also um, planning to have some riders do unbound gravel, which is, I'm sure a lot of people know it's one of the biggest gravel stage race, or not stage, but gravel racing, gravel races in the U.S., um, yeah. if not the world. In the world, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I'm, I did it this year, and it was it was so much fun. So yeah. I would love to do it again next year if it works with the schedule. I, I watched you across the finish line at Unbound, and the, you know what's always fun about that, even with the pros, is just watching how completely cracked and shattered everybody is at the end of that race. It's uh, it's quite a show. Um, so it's cool. That's that's quite a full schedule, first of all. Um, and I think you know Legion is definitely one of those exciting teams that's sort of redefining racing in the U.S. right now, which is also super cool. But I think it it, it like you mentioned, it really ties into your values and some of the things you're doing, uh, off the bike, which is what I wanted to talk about today. Um, because, you know, I think if you're listening to this and you know who Shana is, um, and you know, you know, she comes from, a a family of pretty talented people. I hear your brother also pedals a bike. <laughs> yes, um, and you know, and your, and your fiance is on the Buffalo bills. This is a talented group of people here. Um, and you and, and Ely, when you were at, I don't know if this started when you were at UCLA, but you met at UCLA and <laughs> together yeah. the two of you started the Dreamcatcher Foundation, which I find fascinating. And if you followed Shana at all in the last year, you probably have seen a photo of her with a red fa- uh, handprint across her face. And it's a startling image. And I think that's, that was quite a, quite a marketing genius idea. <laughs> which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but first, tell me about the Dreamcatcher Foundation. What are you doing? When did it start? And why did it start? So the Dreamcatcher Foundation, uh, my fiance and I started that a couple years ago. Actually, I think about going on three years ago now. And so that kind of came, kind of came to be um, with the help of his football agents and um, people from this organization called Athletes and Causes who partner with professional athletes to help them create um, their own causes or their own foundations. And um, they also currently do a lot of behind-the-scenes work for us in terms of planning things out. Um, They even played a huge role in um, helping us uh, plan out our first sports camp that we hosted through our foundation a couple of years ago. And so... Basically, the foundation is all about empowering Native youth through sports, um, such as camps, and um, 
uh, our first camp was hosted in the summer of 2019, I believe it was, and it was a football camp. And it was a huge success. We had almost 150 kids show up, so it was pretty much maxed um, We hosted that in my fiance's hometown of Ottawa, up in Ontario, Canada. And um, yeah, it was a huge success. And it was just one day um, on a Saturday, and uh, it was during the summer. So I think that was a huge part of why we were able to get as many kids to show up as we did. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't be there because I was racing national championships that same weekend. Um, but we are planning to host our next camp, um, uh, potentially next summer or the following summer, just given things lighten up a little bit with COVID. It's been the past couple of years, it's been kind of hard to host a camp just due to COVID. Um, but we are, we are hoping to host our next camp, um, next summer or the following summer. And we're also trying to brainstorm on where to host, maybe potentially on, um, the Doki's First Nation Reservation up in Canada or somewhere around there, which is where uh, my fiance Ely has family ties. Um, he's actually a member of the Ojibwe Nation and um, on his mom's side, he has quite a few family members up in the uh, that reservation area. Um, or we may end up actually hosting a camp um, on the Oneida Reservation up in Wisconsin, which is actually where I have quite a few family ties um, on my dad's side. And so... I've actually been up there a couple times in the past to um, host my own kind of uh, mini uh, cycling clinics and um, a couple community group rides, um, which was super fun. Got to meet a lot of kids in the community um, and their parents. We went for a community group ride, which was super fun. And I got to talk to them about, you know, what it's like being a pro bike racer, um, bike safety, all that fun stuff. And um, yeah, I mean... We're also trying to figure out for our next camp um, whether or not to make it multiple days. So like make one day focused on cycling and another day focused on football or just do two different weekends where one is all about football and another one's all about cycling. Um, we're still kind of brainstorming how we'll make that work. Um, but But yeah, so that's pretty much one side of the foundation. And then the other side of the foundation is basically to um, raise awareness regarding the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls crisis in North America, which is something surprisingly not very many people know about. <laughs> and um, with both Ely and I being native, we feel like it's an issue that hits kind of close to home. And we just both feel super strongly about raising as much awareness of that as possible because it is just, it is very sad that more people don't know about this issue. Mm -hmm. For those of you listening, there's, there's some really startling stats on the Dreamcatcher Foundation site. Um, 84% of native women have experienced violence in their lifetime. 84%. Uh, that that's mm -hmm. insane. Um, yeah. 5,712, uh, the number of known missing or murdered native American women and girls across the United States. Uh, mm -hmm. Native American women are 10 times more likely to get murdered. I mean, these are startling, startling stats. What, what is it? Are you learning anything about why these numbers are not widely known? Why, why this isn't more well-known among Americans? Yeah, that's a great question. And I feel like it's just not, honestly, it's just not covered in the media as much as it should be. And I feel like if it were, I feel like it would be a lot more known across the country, both in the U.S. and Canada, and honestly, I feel like that is one of the main issues as to why not more people know about this is just 
the media coverage regarding this is very little to none. Um, I will say, though, in the last year or so, I have seen it mentioned um, in a couple different documentaries that I've come across on Netflix and things like Hulu, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, you, it's not something that you see covered in the news very often um, compared to a lot of other things, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, for those of you listening, there are actual papers done on this about, you know, the, the news coverage devoted to a missing white woman versus a missing black woman or native woman. And, and the discrepancy is also quite alarming. Um, you know, and so there's, there's a lot of these stats on the Dreamcatcher Foundation website. And I think if you're listening and you're interested, you should read this. When you go to that site, you're going to be met with a pretty startling image of Shana uh, right up front with uh, a red hand uh, print across your face. Tell me about this. This is what uh, this is one of the images that sort of made the rounds when this launched. Um, and it's a stark, startling image uh, that even if you don't even know what your, you know, Shana is doing, talking about, you're going to stop on that image and, and read about it because it is such a, a, an incredible piece of imagery. Tell me about where that came from. Was that something that you had in your head in terms of an imagery that you wanted associated with this? Uh, tell me about that process. Yeah. So the red handprint, um, that basically symbolizes the voices of native women being silenced, um, through, you know, these crimes, um, women who end up going, uh, becoming murdered. That's basically what the red hand symbolizes. And, um, I think it's, it's, it's something so powerful. I mean, if you see something like that in an image, like in photos that I myself have posted, um, it kind of, it's just really eye catching and, you know, the fact that it's the color of it is red. I feel like it's something that really pops out and it just really catches the eye of people. And so, um, over the last couple of years, um, I've done various photo shoots. Um, I've even done a photo shoot, um, with a couple of my teammates where, um, we had our, our team photographer come out to, um, one of the events we did this year, um, before the race and, um, just take the time to, to actually like do some shots with us with that red handprint over our faces. And so, um, it's been really cool to see the support, um, that I've garnered over, you know, sharing about MMIW with other people, whether it's my teammates, friends, family. Um, and it's, it's pretty astounding that most of the people that I, I share this to, they have never even heard of this issue. Um, but when they do, they're just absolutely dumbfounded because it's, it's, such an awful issue and it's something that is so prevalent within our own country and Canada. Um, and yeah, everyone I've shared this with, they're just absolutely blown away that they have never heard of this before. Um, so, you know, and it's funny, I, 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 years ago I was a high school English teacher and I worked right on, uh, right on the edge of, uh, the reservation in, in Arizona. And so I had a lot of those populations in my classroom and violence is such a way of life for them. I mean, it's really baked into their, their lives and it always has been, I mean, that's generational. Uh, but I think, you know, in America, we have had this history of cloistering native populations and, and sort of just saying, okay, they're over there and they have their own thing going on and we can ignore that. Um, and I think that's also part of the reason that, that these numbers haven't really surfaced in, in mainstream circles. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's a general abstract idea that there's some violence and some problems, but nobody really has dove deep into them enough. And I shouldn't say nobody. I mean, there has yeah. been some coverage, but uh, it's, it's certainly 
deserves more uh, more talking about and more coverage in, in various media um, yeah. because it is such a huge problem. And, and the only time we seem to talk about it is when uh, there's a high profile case in the news. And then, you know, native populations are like, actually, over here, this is happening literally every day. Um, yeah, I think I don't know if um, you heard of the Gabby Petito case that yeah. happened summer. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we'll have at this point because there was so much media attention surrounding that whole case. Um, but yeah, so she ended up going, she went disappeared, um, in Wyoming, I believe it was. And I think, um, just within the last few years, uh, there have been over 700 cases of native women, women going missing in that same area of Wyoming. Um, so, and I feel like most people probably had no idea that there have been that many native uh, women that have gone missing in Wyoming. So it's just amazing. Just, you know the skewedness of media attention that you tend to see in the news um, regarding, you know, different cases. Well, and I I also think, I mean, if you're looking more broadly at the United States, uh, many of the discussions that are happening in this country right now focus on things like racism. And and that has become a very hot-button issue in the last several years. Mm -hmm. And I think this plays into that. I mean, there is definitely something to be said for, you know, systemic racism in the United States, for for as long as it's existed. And this is almost a byproduct of that. And and one of the things that was somewhat heartening, and, and the Gabby Petito case, it is horrible. It, it deserves all of the sympathy and empathy. But also, you know, what, what I thought was interesting that came out of that was I did see a lot of news reports uh, from, you know, of people saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, my daughter's been missing for, for years and she never got this treatment because she's black, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit more awareness this time around. I mean, did you find that or did it seem sort of the same old, same old story? No, I, I, I did recognize that actually. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, um, of course, like you said, the Gabby Petito case deserves the utmost, um, you know, respect. And I mean, her case is no less sad or less warranted in the media attention that it got um, compared to anybody else who has gone missing or murdered in the past. So, um, yeah, but I, I do agree with you. I, I have, I did notice, you know, I wouldn't say it was backlash, but I did see a lot of people speaking up regarding, you know, the skewedness regarding the attention that her case got just one person compared to all these other women and girls who have gone missing, um, or murdered, um, who are of color. Um, so yeah, there is a discrepancy and it is, it, I mean, Obviously, the case was awful with Gabby Petito, but I guess on the bright side, it kind of made people almost a little bit more aware of, you know, all these other women of color who have experienced um, the exact same thing and have not got, gotten as much media attention. You know, and, and playing off of that uh, exact structure, you know, the, the mission of Dreamcatcher is to bring awareness to the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And, and it's called a pandemic on your site. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about what that means exactly? What, what, are, what are you doing? What does raise awareness mean exactly? Yeah, so raising awareness, um, basically we just, my fiance and I, we've tried to learn as much as we can about this issue um, over the last couple of years since you know we really kind of discovered Um, exactly how bad it is Um, and it's it's pretty interesting because both of us being native people we didn't really even 
no MMIWG was as big of a thing as it is until literally just the year before last. And that just kind of goes to show that you don't see it, you don't see it in, in mainstream media that often. So even bo- with both of us being Native people, like even we didn't even know it was as bad, bad as it is. And so it was just shocking to us when we first, you know, started educating ourselves on it and really started to learn how dire the situation is um, with these women. And so, like you said earlier, regarding some of the stats, um, you know, Native women are uh, experience murder at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. And I think another statistic um, says three out of four Native women will experience violence at some point in their lives. And, you know, homicide is actually the third leading cause of death for Native women between the ages of 10 and 24, um, which is just, it's, this is a serious issue, just just based off of these few stats. Um, and, you know, because of this, Ely and I, we just feel such a strong inclination to raise as much awareness of this as possible. Um, we almost feel like it's our duty as Native people to spread the word, whether it's through social media, our, our personal pages, our, you know, our foundations page, our website, um, you know, word of mouth, um, of course, you know, it's just something that we both feel that we need to, to talk about as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And if somebody does donate to the foundation um, in a practical sense, is it most of that go toward the camps and things like that? Or, you know, what, what, is, what, is, what is somebody's donation doing for, for that kind of awareness? Yeah, so we have a GoFundMe on our um, foundation's website. And basically the funds from that go towards, um, partly towards, our future camps that we're going to be hosting and then also partly to families affected by MMIWG. Um, so with our funds, we can't, we're, we're not allowed to give directly to these families, but we can give them to organizations who are actively helping these families and, you know, actively combating um, the MMIWG crisis. So cool. that's pretty much where the funds are going to be going. Yeah. 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 Can you, do you in, in your research and in your learning from all of this, um, have you landed on any information about why Native populations are at so much more risk of, viol- of violence? I mean, what is it? What is it that has become? Um, what it's obviously there's something systemic about it that is leading to this crisis of, of violence in this population. Is there any indication what has caused that or what has led to that? Yeah, so that, that's a great question, and it's something that I get asked quite a bit. You know, why are these why are these stats so awful, and why is this happening? Um, and I feel like it's really a lot of factors, but I feel like a few of the main factors influencing this is one, the fact that so many of these reservations where these crimes are happening um, are in such rural areas, and also more often than not, reservations are a little bit lacking in resources. Um, so a lot of the times, um, there these native police forces will be understaffed, under-resourced, um, and also not to mention the fact that tribes are sovereign, so they have their own kind of justice system, their own police force system, um, you know, with limited help from outside sources, so limited help from, um, you know, state police forces, local police forces, um, federal support. Um, 
which just kind of makes the whole situation more complicated because, so for instance, if a non-Native person comes onto uh, tribal land and commits a crime and then leaves, they can't be, they technically can't be held accountable for that crime unless they come back to the reservation and um, tribal forces hold them accountable. So that kind of just adds to the complication, the complicatedness of the whole situation. Um, I think another reason why the situation is so bad is because so many of these reservations are actually um, near um, extraction, like man camp extraction sites. And so a lot of these sites might be like oil pipeline sites, you know, mining, um, fracking, man camp sites. And there actually is, if you, if you dive into some statistics, some research and statistics, there actually is a pretty high correlation between where these crimes are happening and where these sites are. Um, specifically sites that are on uh, or near, I guess I should say, these native reservations, um, which kind of suggests that there could be human trafficking going on. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the main reasons why um, I think the situation is so bad is just due to the, you know, due to the location of reservations, um, tribal sovereignty and not getting um, as much help or as much resources as they would need to be able to solve these crimes and prevent these crimes. Um, but yeah, it, overall, I just think there's there's so many factors yeah. um, and why it, it is as bad as it is. But yeah, and, those and, are just... And, and for those of you listening, uh, you know, when Shana says they're in mostly rural areas, that, that requires some perspective. So, you know, the example I can use because I have firsthand experience with it is that... Uh, when I was a teacher, I was in Winslow, Arizona, and some of my students would be bused in almost two hours every morning and then two hours home uh, because that's the, we were the closest school. Um, and, you know, th- if, the, if it rained and the bus couldn't get up the dirt road, the kids didn't come to school that day. So, you know, that gives you a little bit of a sense of when we say rural, this isn't just like, you know, a farm 20 minutes outside of town. It's, it could be extremely remote. Um, so that that in itself is is a barrier for justice um, to to not have yeah. those resources to not have that accessibility. Uh, women who are in these places are l- literally on an island essentially. Uh, they they don't have they can't just walk to the next town in a lot of senses in a lot of cases. Right. Um, so yeah. that's one thing. And Shana, I got a question for you. You know, this is um, this is very specific to native populations, and I think that's wonderful because I think it's useful. Uh, to, to, to hone in on that population. But I wonder, do you find in the course of your research and studying all this, that this does reach back to a more generally American attitude about toxic masculinity? Because my guess is, and I'm going out on a limb here, most of the violence toward women is perpetrated by men. Uh, am I correct in that, in that assumption? Yes. Yeah, I would say most of the time. Yes, <laughs> that is yeah. true. So, I mean, is it, is there the notion of toxic masculinity in these populations that we see more broadly in the United States right now? I mean, or is it a different, is it a different type of, um, interplay between men and women in these populations? Do they have different, you know, customs in that regard or anything like that? Am I missing something? No, I think, I think that's true. I mean, obviously the toxic masculinity, it's something that is, it's not limited to a certain area or a place or kind of people. It's just kind of something that um, 
I mean, it, it's kind of just everywhere. Um, and it's kind of unavoidable as well. So yeah, that, that's another thing. I mean, that kind of plays into this, this, this whole issue. Um, and really one could argue could also be the root of this entire issue. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with that. Toxic yeah. mas- masculinity is, is the root of many evils, I would say. Mm-hmm. So dudes, it's on us. It, it, it's on us to, to change and it's on us to help others change. Um, and that, you know, that shouldn't be a polarizing statement. And yet here we are, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we need to be better men. I mean, that's the bottom line. And um, I'm curious, you know, I know the Dreamcatcher Foundation here has some resources on their resources page um, for uh, there's hotlines for indigenous women uh, experiencing violence. And then there's education, uh, a short list of, of things you can read here, which I think is, is really interesting. Um, aside from donating to the Dreamcatcher Foundation, which I think everybody should go out and do, please do if you if you have a few bucks to spend. Um Aside from that, I mean, are there resources for, uh, you know, I'm sitting here listening to this podcast as, as a white male who is, is sympathetic to this cause, who wants to do real, you know, real progress here. Where can I find resources to do that? I mean, is it, is it just a matter of donating to these, these uh, foundations that are already doing the work? Or is there somewhere else I can learn more about the, the behaviors of toxic masculinity, the, 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 the things that are going on on the, the reservations that, that, that I can help with. I mean, are there resources out there like that? Oh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few, I would say. I mean, online, like you can even just Google MMIWG um, to learn more about it. Um, yeah, there's, I would say there's definitely quite a few websites. I can't remember other websites off the top of my head, of course, besides our own. Um, but also, even on social media, like there's quite a few pages. Um, one of them being MMIW, who is missing um, as the page uh, username or handle. That's one of the biggest ones I'd say that I've I've come across. And um, similar to our foundation's uh, Instagram page, they they're constantly posting information about not just the issue as a whole and statistics, but actual like faces of these women um, and girls who are, you know, going missing or um, have become murdered, um, you know, especially unsolved cases of murder with Native women. Um, so that's just an example of a, pa- like a page that I've come across that's been really amazing at, you know, spreading information. Um, another page would, I, would, I would say would be MMIW underscore media, um, who... They they quite frequently post um, about women who have gone missing, you know, individual cases as well. Um, and I believe there's a couple documentaries that have come out in the last couple of years as well. I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head, but um, we can it, we can list these in the liner notes so people can click on them uh, after the fact, and, and I'll get a, a some yeah. some resources from you and, and assemble it below. Uh, but those mm-hmm. are good places to start for sure. So there's a hashtag. It's it's MMIW. Uh, is it MMIWG? I, I got to get back to the right page here. <laughs> MMIWG. MMIWG. So if you're on social media, that's a good uh, hashtag to start with so that you can start learning a little bit about, you know, the very startling statistics and then some of the things that you can do to help. Um, Shane, is there anything else about this topic that you feel 
needs to be said that that hasn't gotten coverage enough or just something for our listeners to to take away from this in terms of what what's what concrete steps to do next follow the hashtag go to dreamcatcher foundation donate um is there anything else go bills <laughs> <laughs> of course um yeah. i guess i'll also mention so i earlier i mentioned how um you know there's kind of a lack of cooperation between tribal governments tribal police forces and um, outside sources. Um, but I, I would say just within the last year, year and a half, there has been some progress made in regards to that. Um, so there, there's something called the Savannah's Act that I believe was passed um, going on a year and a half ago now. And basically Congress passed um, that act along with another act. I think it's called the non, Not Invisible Act, basically to increase intergovernmental coordination to identify and combat violent crime against um, natives and within native land. Um, So basically the Savannah's Act, for instance, calls for the Interior Department to coordinate prevention efforts, grants, and programs related to missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, And both the Not Invisible Act and the Savannah's Act are very, I mean, they're they're definitely like good first steps in, you know, helping the situation and providing, you know, more coordination resources um, for tribes to combat this crisis. But there's definitely a lot more work I still think that needs to be done. But I just thought that it would be mentioned that there has been some steps um, taken to help. Yeah, progress progress is happening. It's happening slowly as progress tends to. Uh, But it sounds like, you know, bless my teacher heart, the first step for anybody listening is educate yourself. Uh, start reading about this topic. Start involving yourself. Shana, where can they find you and the Dreamcatcher Foundation on social media? Yeah, so my Instagram is just at Shana Paulus, my first and last name. Um, and then the Dreamcatcher page is just at, um, let me double check. It's just at dream underscore catcher underscore FDN, short for foundation. Um, and that's where you can find us on Instagram. And then there's also a Facebook page. So just, um, Dreamcatcher Foundation, um, on, uh, Facebook. And then I'm on Facebook as well. My fiance is also, um, although we, I, w- I will say we are more active on Instagram than Facebook. Um, as well, you should be, <laughs> I think Instagram's better anyway. Um, thank you, Shana. And, uh, for those of you listening, if you have questions for Shana or for me, um, feel free to reach out to me. You can catch me at slow guy, fast ride on Twitter and at slow guy on the fast ride on Instagram. Cause they give me more letters, which I think is nice. Uh, so please do go to, uh, to sign up for the newsletter. Check out all the other cool content we're doing here. Uh, and of course, uh, give this a like, a subscribe. Uh, I would love to hear what you all think of this. So please do feel free to reach out. Shana, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, letting me talk about our foundation and, you know, share as much as I can um, about something that I feel really strongly about. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. It can consider it an open invite anytime you want to come chat. We're, we're always here and we're always happy to have you. 
Um, but for those of you listening, uh, like I said, please do subscribe. Please do like. Give us all that love. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening to me this week. Uh, and I will have plenty of links for you down below so you can learn all about the Dream Catcher Foundation uh, and the, uh, the mission that they are serving. Shana, thank you again. And to all of you listening, we'll catch you next time.